Hey, what is up, players, skaters, and everyone else in between? This is Serial Killer, and I'm accompanied by... Enforcer. This is a primarily roller derby-based podcast, where this month we will be diving into a conversation about brains in roller derby. We are happy to introduce Dr. Liz, a.k.a. Serotonin. Yeah. <laughs> okay, just to kind of start this thing off, give us your name, your pronouns, and your current league association. And I know you've got a few different names in there, so you can kind of intro all of your aliases. Sure. So, um, yeah, as as you said, my name is Dr. Liz Engler Shirazi. Uh, I am uh, currently in New Orleans, and I skate uh, with the Big Easy Roller Derby under um, the name Five Star Fancy. Uh, but I also have a blog uh, where I blog under the name Dr. Liz and Serotonin uh, called the Brains and Bruises blog. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, hers. Uh, and let's see, within uh, Roller Derby, I am uh, the merchandise manager, and I was just asked to step into uh, a training role a couple of weeks ago. So I'm awesome. looking forward to that. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And then let's see, I'm a parent to a junior's roller derby skater for the Crescent City Crushers. Her name is Little Star, and she is so yeah. excited. She just tested in, uh, she's almost a level two. So she's really oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So, how and long have you been playing? Yeah, I started um, in the winter of early 2018. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so it was a snowy, snowy uh, day when I first rolled into the Fresh Meat Boot Camp. <laughs> awesome. And then as for your, I guess we could say real life, because you have like a derby life and then you have your real life. Um, what's your profession? And then how did you get into it? What made you want to get into your, what your profession is? Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, in, in real life, outside and off the track, um, I am a neuroscientist uh, and an assistant professor at Tulane University. Uh, I'm in the Department of Neurosurgery, though I'm not a clinician. I'm a PhD uh, trained scientist. Um, so as a professor, uh, my main roles are to run a research lab uh, you know, investigating important questions related to the brain. Um, I'm particularly interested in how uh, the brain and the nervous system interact with the immune system, which in recent years has become increasingly important uh, as a topic. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I'm very disappointed for the world that it's become uh, so, oh, yeah. so interesting, but um, we have now a lot of really important questions to answer. Uh, so that keeps us really busy at the bench. Um, and then in addition, I also uh, do some classroom teaching, uh, mentoring of graduate and undergraduate trainees uh, who would like to ultimately become scientists themselves. Uh, and also I do a good bit of community outreach and science uh, education and communication uh, activities, which I, I absolutely love because I think that's key to uh, fostering the next generation of scientists. For sure. Um, and then taking your roller derby background, how were you able to blend neuroscience with roller derby? What kind of ties did you see between the two? Um, that's, I mean, that's a good question. The, the whole subject of the blog um, is going over sort of the, the journey that I had, you know, when I started in Fresh Meat Boot Camp. 
you know, having not worn skates for like 20 something years uh, and, and just really like overcoming the challenges, learning the things that I needed to learn that were just so different from, you know, anything else that I had been doing up to that point. You know, it's a really unique skill set that none of us really hone until we're on skate, right? <laughs> So, so that journey, right, we can all in the derby world, like relate to what it was like starting out, you know, as a newbie skater. Mm -hmm. And right. so, you know, in, in thinking about that, uh, it, it helped me sort of realize, like, you know, I, I was overcoming a lot of challenges, but there were a lot of parallels between that journey and my journey to, you know, you know, being a scholar now, that that intellectual journey, that challenge of, um, you know, taking on projects, doing experiments, leading them to completion and, you know, contributing something new to the world. Uh, it's, it's a big challenge that people take on um, and it's not an easy one, not dissimilar to learning how to be a roller derby skater because we don't really have a lot of the skills necessarily at the start of our training uh, and then we have to develop them over time. So those those right. journeys were really similar, and I didn't realize that until um, you know a couple of years in. Nice, right? So, do you think that roller derby has helped you with your regular career? Other than that kind of situation of seeing that similarity, do you see any anything that's kind of helped each other from your career sure. to roller derby? Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the, let's see, one of the topics that I um, had discussed on the blog was um, this idea of, you know, getting low, right? Which is what we tell everybody on day one, right? You got to get low, you got to mm -hmm. get lots. Um, and it's not a position that we often occupy. And so it's, it hurts. It's uncomfortable at mm -hmm. first. And you, you know, you, exist in that uncomfortable space for weeks, you know, while you're honing other skills and, you know, much the same way, uh, being a scientist means you're constantly pushing the boundary of the unknown and mm -hmm. that's uncomfortable, right? I, I don't know how my experiments are going to go. A lot of them, you know, are advancing the field into new territory and um that's uncomfortable there there's inherent risk mm -hmm. there and so you know getting comfortable with being uncomfortable both physically in roller derby and intellectually in science uh you know has really helped me uh stay calm when you know i'm not sure how things are gonna go um because i've honed that and gotten used to that uh, and from a mental health perspective too, right? We tend to try and avoid discomfort, mm -hmm. but really embracing mm -hmm. that and being comfortable, feeling unpleasant things and knowing that we have the strength to get through them uh, and come out on the other side stronger is is absolutely key, I think, to uh, mental and emotional mm -hmm. resilience. I think that's okay. such an important phrase, you know, feeling comfortable being uncomfortable or however you mm -hmm. want to word it. Because, I, you know, we all, everybody in the world gets uncomfortable at some point. Um, just with, like, anything. You can get uncomfortable with anything. So just, like, having a different mindset about it, I think it's so important. So mm -hmm. I really appreciate that phrase. It's really good. Yeah. Thanks. So speak, Thanks, yeah. <laughs> speaking about your blog, what made you kind of start that off? 
Uh, yes. So, um, you know, when I originally got into Derby, um, you know, I was kind of at a point in my career where I was um, needing a new challenge just in in life. I don't know exactly how to explain it other than that, but I was kind of just sort of pedaling forward and, you know, day to days were pretty similar. You know, the job is stressful. You know, I'll be upfront about that. There's a lot of demands, a lot of challenges, a lot of deadlines. Um, and so you need a good outlet. And I joined Derby, uh, you know, kind of on a whim, but I stayed in Derby because of those sort of stress relieving community benefits that I was really looking for. Um, so really at the outset, I kind of kept Derby separate from my professional life. Mm -hmm. So when the pandemic happened, um, at the recommendation of a fellowship program that I got to be a part of shortly before uh, called the If Then Initiative, which is this awesome program that has amplified 125 women in STEM as role models mm -hmm. to help inspire the next generation of scientists uh, and STEM you know, uh, innovators, they, they particularly were fond of this roller derby connection and really <laughs> encouraged me to think on that. Uh, so the blog kind of evolved in in realization of these um, overlapping experiences and, you know, how they sort of motivated me and I thought they might motivate others. And, you know, at the time, my research lab was shut down and it's really hard to oh. sign from home. So uh, <laughs> I thought this was a great way to engage in outreach in, you know, two domains that I really love. I think it's so funny the misconception that people have about roller derby players. Like mm -hmm. they <laughs> everyone just assumes that they're gonna be like really punk rock, hardcore, you know, being crazy like that all the time. But really there's so much diversity. Mm-hmm. They all come from different walks of life. Like yeah. as aged out juniors, I've realized how many um adult skaters have all sorts of different backgrounds. And they're all not just like this one stereotype mm -hmm. that they're made out to be. And so it's really cool. Yeah, I, yeah, think, I think it's awesome seeing that. Sorry. <laughs> no worries. You're so right. Um, and, you know, I'll say too, one of the things that I love most about Derby is just the breadth and depth of the human experience that it's exposed from. Mm -hmm. I, I was surrounded by academics, you know, for most of my adult life, right? Because that's where I spent most of most of my time mm -hmm. in the lab. And there are some some, you know, different people, you know, who come to this career in different ways. But for the most part, um, you know, we all kind of think the same way and we all have the same, you know, demands on our time. Um, and joining derby really helped broaden my worldview and i am going to be forever grateful for that because i met people i never would have met any other way no yeah i totally That's agree with sweet. that i think it's kind of weird being a junior because before you know when you're under the age of 18 you can't customize yourself that much that sounds weird but we weren't surrounded by you know tattoos and piercings really there were skaters that did do that and they were a little older but you kind of grew up just seeing people as a clean blank slate no career just kind of going mm -hmm. to high school and middle school so then you know kind of going up into the adult league it's kind of a little bit of a shell shock thing you're like oh my gosh there's 
so much going on. <laughs> Everybody's got a different job. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's see here. So I know you kind of, you, you said that you don't specifically study athletic, the athletic side of, uh, of, of being like a doctor and stuff, but how can we kind of have a better conversation about athletes and their brains? Because I feel like some people think that they're a little bit invincible in a way <laughs> and it's just kind they, of an overlooked, yeah. overlooked subject. They just don't look at it. They don't look at it in the way that it's probably supposed to be looked at. Sure, sure. And I mean, it's, you know, I'm probably guilty of this too, right? I don't think it can happen to me. And, you know, like, mm -hmm. so I say knowing that there are risks, you know, involved and, you know, risks that could really, I mean, you know, if I, if I got hurt or, you know, hurt my brain, like that would really, you know, affect my day-to-day -day life in a pretty profound way. So, you know, we... We, we have to take these risks and consider them, you know, with, you know, sort of the relative risk that they present, um, but also being real that like, this is a risky thing that we are doing and we should be really thinking about ways that we can mitigate that risk. Um, and yeah, I mean, all that, all that being said, uh, you know, as you said, I, I definitely disclaim here that I am not a medical doctor. I am, you know, a researcher. Uh, I, and I don't have a lot of experience, you know, with emergency, uh, or, or trauma medicine. Um, but, you know, I can talk a little bit about what we know, what the state of the literature is, uh, and how that's evolving, you know, as we learn more. Um, yeah, that's, that'll be my disclaimer. <laughs> yeah. I feel <laughs> like you don't really, you don't expect it to happen to anybody that you're around. I've now been around... And I guess Emma has too. We had a previous skater we skated with that she had to quit skating because she had so many head trauma injuries. And they just kind of disclaimed that, you know, if you get hit in the head a few more times, it might not result in totally good things. Mm -hmm. um, and then literally yesterday, this is insane because I knew I was going to have this conversation. I heard a skater that I'm really familiar with. I'm not going to say their name, but that she now can't play roller derby at all and they claimed that she can't ride horses she's a big horseback rider just because that could agitate things more and I, you just never think that it's gonna happen you know with people that you've been skating with for years and stuff um so it's just like a i don't know it's just like kind of spooky <laughs> makes sure. you question yeah. it a little bit you're like ah oh, maybe i should watch my head a little more <laughs> Sure. Well, I'm first, I'm really sorry, um, you know, about your friend and their experience. That's, you know, that's tough to have. I know, to it's so tough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I think, I mean, I think we need to have real open conversations about yeah. the risks that are involved. I think that awareness is key. I, I you know, it's cliche, mm -hmm. but knowledge is power. So knowing, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, knowing as much as we can about uh, where our risks for injury comes from, what can be done, right. um, signs and symptoms that a, a colleague or a former, sorry, not a colleague, but a teammate might be showing. <laughs> uh, so, you know, those, those are, I think, important 
components of a, a big conversation that we, we need to have. And I definitely think like destigmatizing injury and, and to saying, you know, hey, this is a part of what we do. And somebody didn't necessarily do something wrong or deserve it. Like it just happened. Let's now move on. Um, you know, just the way that I, I try and advocate for destigmatizing, you know, mental health stuff, right? Like right. you're not, you're not um, you know, perseverating on a particular negative experience and, you know, rehashing it over and over again because you have a lack of will. That's your mm-hmm. neurons that have been programmed to respond very aggressively to this stimuli. Right. And you can't stop that easily without, you know, help. Uh, mm-hmm. Either psychotherapy or, you know, you know, exercise, other types of self-care behaviors, maybe even medication. I think same, same with, with injuries. Nobody, mm-hmm. nobody, most of the time, nobody does set out to injure themselves. It's usually an accident. And I think mm-hmm. considering- I feel like that's- good yeah no i totally get i feel like that's a good segue actually into a question that we had about uh roller derby and injuries i don't know if emma has much experience with like going to the doctor for a roller derby related injury not really not really i feel like i've gone a few times for a few different things that were from minor to kind of major things and every time that i go they always kind of find out that I got it from roller derby and then they're like oh well it looks like you're gonna have to pack up your skates and stop Hmm. and I just feel like that's really like a weird they they I think they don't think roller derby is really a real sport and it's like more of a hobby thing like oh you can stop your hobby it's totally fine um Mm. but I don't know if there's like a little bit of a I don't know like a stigma behind that and how they don't really take it as seriously because it's a roller derby thing um but i don't know if you have any any thoughts on that type of a yeah. situation I mean, i'm sorry that was your experience i you're all um, good no you're all good yeah, i mean i think you know self-advocacy in all forms of um health care right. right, absolutely key so if you don't feel like you're being taken seriously by a right absolutely either you know advocate <laughs> for yourself or get a second opinion uh, from right. someone mm-hmm. who does and that's in all domains not just roller derby injuries in in my experience um i haven't had i've been fortunate to not have had too many serious injuries um i did fall on my tailbone pretty early on and bruised it and didn't sit right for a week um but i didn't go to the doctor for that one i just bought crash pads and you know still wear them so uh so i get like not going to the doctor for everything um yeah i think you got to weigh how serious it is and how much it's mm-hmm. impacting your life with um you know whether you you go um but in my experience, when I've gone for derby-related injuries, you know, I've had a good experience. Um, that being said, the, the person that I went to see is, you know, an EMT, you know, slash doctor who occasionally shows up at our bouts. So uh, you know, <laughs> we've already got, you know, a person on our side in that way. So, yeah, yeah, you know, I think refuse to not be taken seriously. And, and right. you know, definitely roller derby counts. Like, this is an athletic pursuit. Um, right. I think it's I think it's just a little under 
I understand that it's like an underground thing. I did end up having to go to like a physical therapy for a thing. And, you know, the lady's like, it was a sports physical therapist. And she was like, okay, so what sport do you play? And I was like, roller derby. And she's like, I know nothing about that at all. Can you tell me? And I was like, yeah. (laughs) Because I just don't think they have a lot of people that are in that. Yeah, good understanding for the sport, which is sucky. But, you know, it's going to happen. Well, then you get you get the uh, you get the honor of enlightening them on (laughs) such an amazing sport. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we can be brand ambassadors, you know, for yeah. Derby and showcase that, you know, we are getting sports related injuries because it is a sport, not a show. Uh, right. I think, yeah, that's that's a good. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Educate, educate whoever you need to, uh, again, until you're taken seriously. Just bouncing off of that. There is an importance to protecting our brains, I think. I hope everybody's gotten that from the conversation thus far. Um, And so taking your background a little bit, and I know uh, we've prefaced this, that like you're not a uh, doctor, and so disclaimer, you know. But roller derby is a high-contact sport, and as athletes, we want to protect our brains. We want to make sure we're A-OK. What is the best way that we can avoid getting brain injuries? And then after say a brain injury um what can you do to stop it from proceeding to get worse or what are the precautionary measures i guess you could say sure um yeah so uh, definitely not a medical doctor or sports uh, medicine clinician but i think um nor am i a physicist right so i don't totally understand how all the forces work but mm-hmm. my understanding of roller derby and the impacts we experience relative to other sports uh, where brain injuries can happen. Um, it's just the way in which we, you know, experience those impacts is, is not head on. Uh, and so I think that helps a lot uh, mm-hmm. in mitigating the risk. You know, we teach safe falling when possible. It not always is possible, um, but we we do actively teach people how to do this in a way that protects uh, the important organs that we want to keep uh, working well. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, contact in, you know, brain risky areas is very prohibited and, you know, very much uh, punished by, you know, refereeing uh, officials if it happens. And so I think, you know, from all levels in that way, taking it seriously is, is really key. Um and, you know, I'm not actually super aware of any research that's been done comparing roller derby and the forces we experience to other types of uh, sport concussive, you know, impacts. But it's definitely an experiment that could be done. Uh, and I, I would encourage <laughs> people to do it because uh, I certainly, <laughs> yeah. certainly want to know the answer. Um, the, yeah. other, the other thing I'll say is um, just taking it seriously. So at the... The, um, I'm part of Team Louisiana, and we hosted the Y'all Stars uh, Southern State Showdown Tournament this past weekend. And all the refs um, were doing gear safety checks. So we had to mm-hmm. make sure our helmet was properly secure, not too loose, mm-hmm. uh, that, our, that our pads were aligning so that we avoided you know, those types of uh, joint injuries. 
Um, and they were calling some penalties if people's gear wasn't properly secured. Um, so I think that's good. You no, know, that's good. And they were they were especially aggressive with the juniors, which I really appreciated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and we then hosted a tournament. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Sorry. No, you go ahead, please. Um, uh, we hosted a tournament. I think, gosh, it's been like a week ago now. But yeah, we our our refing crew really heavily prioritizes gear checks, and then either that's visual or actually touching the skaters. And I I want to say there's actually rules out there where if you have any sort of damage to any part of your protective gear, you are unallowed to play. If you can if you can get it changed or fixed or whatnot, you're allowed to play. But if you cannot, you are not to be skating in that game. And I think that's really important to have in the rule set because it it um it makes sure that nothing does go wrong it makes sure that like people are safe and nothing bad can happen just by just it's gear checks take i want to say up to a minute or two minutes long so that one to two minutes that it takes it's really important that it happens and so i'm glad to hear that like more people are starting to really prioritize um gear checks yeah i thought it was so yeah, no, I like that too. But I thought it was so interesting that when I went to nationals, this was the first time that I saw this, uh, but they checked the S1 helmets. They had like an ambassador there. So I don't really know. I don't know the whole situation. I probably wasn't paying as much attention as I should have. But they were checking the little, um, the part right next to your ear that's adjustable that you can move up and down closer to your chin or closer to your ear. Yeah. Yep. And they were telling us that that needs to sit like right below your ear. It can't be mm-hmm. all drugged down. Just, yep. I don't know, just to make it a little tighter on there on your noggin. <laughs> so now I look out for that because I wasn't, I wasn't aware of that whole, whole thing. But I feel like that's like another thing we need to kind of talk about. Wearing yeah, your they, stuff right. They were just yes. of us too. And yeah, I think, you know, your gear is only as good as it's properly, you know, implemented so if you're not wearing it the right way just like if you're not wearing a seatbelt the right way it's not mm-hmm. going to offer you the mm-hmm. same protection as it was originally mm-hmm. intended and so yeah i think and, and it's easy right it's not again we're not intentionally most of us like mm-hmm. not wearing your gear right it's just it happens over time and you don't notice it and so mm-hmm. having somebody's and job be yeah. to check it i think is great mm-hmm. and sometimes it's just unawareness like we had recruitment not too long ago and a lot of people were starting to get their own gear. And before I was giving them resources to get their own gear, I was telling them, make sure it's the right size, make sure mm-hmm. it fits the right way, you know, and there's like, all, there's all these guides that are available to people that I don't think people use enough where mm-hmm. they have, they have the correct fitment. They have how you're supposed to wear your gear, how it's supposed to feel, um, what it's supposed to look like. So I'm glad that there's those resources out there because it stops, it at least, I don't know what the right word is, impedes or slows down any sort of injury that could happen. So what was like your, I don't know, you might not have a specific opinion on it, but when you were looking for a helmet, were there specific things you were looking for or anything like that? Yeah, um, I think, you know, I I was cognizant to you know do a little bit of my own education and my due diligence though again you know right when you're starting out you don't know mm-hmm. what you don't know and so um, 
you know, I, I did the research that I could. I was happy with my choice. Um, you know, I went with the S1 helmet. I thought the dual certification for both high impacts and multiple impacts, uh, you know, seemed like the necessary, um, you know, the necessary safety that um, was, was going to suit for um, roller derby as a sport. Um, you know, I think I also, you know, regularly replace my helmet. I recognize mm -hmm. that, that is expensive. Um, yeah. Yes. But, you know, so is a brain injury. So um, right. hmm, I'd yes. rather pay the, you know, 150, 200 bucks now uh, and and just make sure that I, I am, you know, replacing it frequently. So probably yeah. every every year or so. Um of gameplay, I'll, I'll replace it. And I'm probably coming due. Uh, to I think so. they generally like offer not so much a warranty, but like a, a time they allow their helmets. And I think that's probably on their website and probably in some paperwork that you get when you get your helmet. Mm -hmm. um, but read those fine prints, make sure that you're not wearing your helmet for 3000 years. I know I've been guilty of that. <laughs> yeah, and I'll uh, say I kind of have a, a helmet for bouting and a helmet for practice. Yeah. I have two yeah. It gets it gets kind of sucky when you start sticker bombing them and then you're like, "Oh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to retire my stickers, but get a sticker helmet or something, I don't know." There. <laughs> replace like replace your helmets and read your fine yes. print. We I think last podcast talked about how I had a friend that I accidentally um, curb stomped her head into the floor and oh, she she lost a tooth and oh, it was yeah. a new it was a new mouth guard so they ended up looking into that because it came with a warranty or something or like some sort of I don't know like they would be liable if something 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 and in the fine fine print it ended up saying that she had to wear two mouth guards because they were like the really thin thin uber thin paper thin ones hmm and so oh. they didn't end up get any getting any you know help from that uh but yeah so read your fine print <laughs> replace your helmets make sure your gears reliable all yes. that good stuff so from your professional advice or what you think what is what is necessary to prevent brain injuries from getting worse Sure. So, um, you know, I would say, you know, obviously that, you know, the first and best thing that can be done to um, prevent a TBI from getting worse is to make sure that um, you only have one TBI. So if you take <laughs> a hit that kind of rattles your brain a little, you see stars or you fall and you hit your head. I mean, we have rules, right? You have to get off the track for th at least three jams, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, we need to implement that and enforce that, you know, and, you know, it's really important that while your brain, you know, is potentially injured that you don't injure it again. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of my training is in stroke. And so one of the things that we see um, in stroke, which is a very similar brain injury to a traumatic brain injury uh, or a concussion is that um, if there is um, a stroke induced, you know, the body can respond and handle it. But if some other perturbation, like um, being infected with a, an infection that's affecting the brain, 
Um, it, you know, if that's already going on, you know, then the stroke injury is much worse because the body's response systems are tied up mm, with that yeah. first hit and they can't really effectively deal with the second one. Uh, right. And we lots of different applications. So make sure, you know, if you think you hit your head, it is not worth continuing in that moment. Like maybe take mm -hmm. the rest of practice off, just watch, you mm -hmm. know, monitor yourself. Um, and if, you know, if we can all educate ourselves too on the signs and symptoms of uh, even a mild traumatic brain injury, which can be as, you know, minute as sort of dazed, you know, state the person might be in or um, feeling a little nauseous, you know, for, you know, or ear ringing, right? These are all little, little things that if ignored, you know, could lead to a bigger problem later on. So if we all sort of make ourselves aware of what those are and watch for them in ourselves and others, um, you know, I think that helps early identify um, mm -hmm. potential TBI. Mm -hmm. And then once we figure that out, you know, getting evaluated by a trained professional mm -hmm. uh, is really key. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, yes. you know, I think, you know, the state of the literature right now, um, you know, is really evolving because conventional, uh, wisdom, you know, if you had a TBI recommended that you rest in a quiet, dark space, that you not have a lot of noise or interaction, um, you know, for several weeks after a, a brain injury was experienced and the field, uh, is, is really evolving and, and sort of challenging that wisdom. So one, um, one group of researchers that I'll highlight back at um, West Virginia University, which is where I got my start, um, you know, both as a, a, a researcher, uh, as a faculty member, and also in Derby, um, you know, my colleagues, Dr. Kate and Zach Weil, uh, have done some work to suggest that mild to moderate exercise in the form of a treadmill in um, a preclinical animal model uh, of traumatic brain injury showed that there may be actually some brain protective and brain restorative effects. So specifically, um, you know, we know new neurons are born and mature after an injury is experienced. And what they found is that this mild to moderate exercise could increase uh, the ability of these new neurons to be born and survive. And this was associated with improvements in learning and memory, which uh, are some of the things long-term that um, can be negatively impacted by experiencing uh, a brain injury. Wow. So get your, get your exercise. Well, following your <laughs> doctor's guidance, of course, but yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh... This might be out of your, I don't know, you don't have to answer this. We could take this out. But I just wanted to ask, do you have any, um, let me start over. Let me rephrase this in my head. Okay. <laughs> Is there any way, well, I don't know how I want to say it, really. Do you know the effects of what a brain injury, you know, from trauma or whatever can do long-term if untreated is there anything that can kind of happen from that that you know of yeah definitely um so you know historically the the field of brain injury whether that be in stroke 
uh, or traumatic brain injury. Um, you know, I would say in, in, until the last couple, you know, couple decades, really focused on the movement deficits that come with with injury. So people not being able to walk or speak or move their hands. You know, mm -hmm. that that was really the focus of you know research and, and understanding how people would be impaired movement wise. Um, and these are, of course, very important, you know, things that we need to function normally in our day-to-day -day lives. And when they're disrupted, mm -hmm. it's a big negative impact. But especially in younger patients, um, which is typically what we see in the context of sports-related traumatic brain injury, um, mm -hmm. you know, movement deficits generally heal with time. However, um, we're really starting to appreciate the full spectrum that long-term consequences of brain injuries can, you know, manifest in. And, um, you know, a colleague of mine is an example, uh, Dr. Cole Vonderhaar, who uh, was at West Virginia University with me and is now at uh, Ohio State. Um, we both wrote a couple of papers discussing after stroke or after traumatic brain injury, how executive function, uh, which generally pertains to you know brain processes like decision making, or impulsivity, or emotional mm. regulation, inhibiting behaviors, uh, how those domains of function, which are you know pretty important, and we use them every day, all day, right? Uh, yeah, tend to be disrupted. But those deficits do not generally appear for many weeks to even months following an injury. You know, combine that with, um, you know, post-injury cognitive fogginess, so having trouble learning new things or remembering information, uh, and, you know, mood disorders like depression that are, you know, most people say, well, you know, you've had an injury, you may not be able to do the things that you once did. You, of right. course, you crap. Mm -hmm. you know, but, but we also maintain that that depression somewhat shows up independent of the scope of injury, the location within the brain where that injury has happened, or the extent of motor or movement impairment or otherwise, you know, functional disability. Uh, so if people are becoming depressed even when there's really no reason to as a result of their injury, you know, we need to sit up and pay attention to that. And I think that the yeah. field is really starting to uh, address these concerns, mm -hmm. especially as we get better mm -hmm. at saving people from the dying from the initial injury, which we have. Right. right. All right. Well, I think that's all the questions on our part. It was so much fun having you yeah. on our podcast. <laughs> I... I for sure learned a lot. No, I don't. Yes. I think a lot of, I think a lot of athletes and especially roller derby players don't really know much about the initial impact of the brain and how roller derby ties with that. And so having you on here was really good insight. Um, and I hope you enjoyed our present as presence as well. <laughs> Absolutely, it was a pleasure. Um and. Everybody else that's listening, please go check out Liz's blog, Brains, Brains and Bruises. Um, we will link it in the podcast description as well as on social media. We'll tag yeah. her. We'll 
uh, send her your way. You can find some more to this uh, podcast yeah. on there. You can hear some more of us. She's going to be asking us a bunch of exclusive questions that you can check out on her blog. So you'll get to see that stuff. It'll be exciting. Mm-hmm. But yeah. All right. We're going to head out. Thanks so much. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Yeah. Yes. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye. <laughs>